Welcome to Hiding Behind the Music Stand. I'm your host, Patty Ryan, and with me is Jaman E. Dunn, who is the assistant conductor of the Buffalo Philharmonic Orchestra, assistant director of the Buffalo Master Chorale, and the founder and music director of the Polaris Orchestra. He also maintains a vocal career and has performed as a bass soloist in various requiems, masses, and operas, and we'll be talking about his interest in real estate. Welcome, Jaman. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, me too. As I said, yeah. I... I'm so happy to finally actually meet you in person. I've seen you a lot doing all these social media blasts for Polaris Orchestra and of course mm-hmm. FaceTiming with Gabby when she was collaborating with you and Nate Taylor who was both our past guests of the podcast. So I feel like I've now met the trifecta of what the Polaris <laughs> Orchestra is now. <laughs> yeah, we're definitely a very close three. So <laughs> yeah, yeah. so I've just been really looking forward to finally getting to know you and also very honored to be a small part of the the Polaris Orchestra in some way. Mm-hmm. So thank you for including me in your amazing project. Yeah, of course. Thank you for being with us. Yeah. We really enjoy it. So what is your most insane or curious or intriguing performance story? <laughs> I guess I have like two really short ones that are a little interesting. The first one, I auditioned for a concerto competition in undergrad. So I think it was like three days before we had two rehearsals the two days before. And so three days before I did a rehearsal and I felt weird. Two days before uh-huh. I had the flu. No! <laughs> so, oh, and you're I was like, yeah, I was singing Largo al Factotum, also known as the Barbara Seville aria, the one that has Figaro, Figaro. Yeah, oh. yeah, that one. So my dad was flying into town to see it. I went to the store, bought every manner of vitamin C and all <laughs> yeah. these other things. And I was like, oh my God, I need to get rid of this. Yeah. I told the director I couldn't. He was like, can you still sing? I said, yeah, we'll see. I get to the performance and I do it and it's fantastic. See? But I am so exhausted at the end I almost collapse on stage and then my dad looks at me afterwards he's like are you okay I was like please take me home yeah I just need to sleep sleep. it's funny because both of these are like opera related so that was the first one the second one was more recent I was conducting my first full-length opera which is Carmen Mm -hmm. uh, with Buffalo Opera Unlimited this past December and I can't remember which act it was in but I was going and I was just excited and then my baton caught on the stand light and it's oh. one of those old metal stand lights. Yes. And so the tip snaps off and goes <gasps> flying. Oh, no. <laughs> And then they were like, no, it didn't get anybody. But they were like, what is going on? But then to make matters worse, in a subsequent act, I did a downbeat and my entire baton went flying (laughs) and got stuck in the wall behind my head. Oh my, that's actually kind of badass though. Yeah, yeah, exactly. (laughs) So then I pulled it out and I kept going like nothing happened. (laughs) That's amazing. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, that must have been the like one of the most energetic Carmen mm-hmm. performances oh, ever. Oh, yeah, yeah. It was, a, it was a lot of fun. It was a smaller pit, too, but it was a lot of fun. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, but I'm so happy that you brought this as one of your performance stories, because as a pit musician, or even just an orchestral musician, in the past, I've seen conductors lose their batons all the time, mm-hmm. right? And mm-hmm. you're always like, oh, God, is it this way? Or you're like, get out of the way. You know, and I've always wondered what it's like, what it, how it feels as a conductor when that happens to you. Is there a panic? 
panic moment or like what yes there is <laughs> there's a panic normally the panic from us though is not i lost my baton it's oh my god did i hit somebody okay like like the panic from us is more on the well-being of the musicians oh that's well nice. well at least on my part it is yeah uh, the, <laughs> yeah <I laughs> but mean. then because i can't take time to look around for it i'm just kind of like and finger i'm gonna use the finger until i figure out where my baton is yeah and normally if it falls to the ground or something one of the instrumentalists will be kind enough to give it back to me and then i keep going yeah but but yeah that's normally what it is and when you have these wooden handles it's really scary and especially me as a string player i freak out because i don't want to hit somebody's instrument right you and know? you're, in, and you're like, in front of a sea of yeah, yeah exactly you're in front of a sea of strings if it hits somebody wrong you know their sound post can collapse you could have like right. you know all kind of crap happen but yeah that's pretty much how we feel okay <laughs> that's how i feel and how many batons do you own on or have on you at a given time so my case which is actually really cool i have a oh. case that i had made it's a wooden oh. case and it has my name on it and then oh. it has my name and tengwar which is the quenya elfish from uh, lord of the rings okay. i'm a nerd <laughs> So, but in that case, I can fit all of my batons. So I have my main one, and then I have three others that I use. So I have a total of four. Okay. But of the four, one is a lot shorter than the others, and that's yeah. the one I normally use for, like, choral pieces that are just choir or choir with, like, very few musicians. Yeah. Because it doesn't you don't make need sense a for big... me to have a lot. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I get exactly. you. Okay. Mm -hmm. So when you, in the Carmen story, when you broke the tip off, did you just go to another baton, or did you stick with that one? I stuck with that one because... I had been using that one for all the rehearsals and the thing about it is all of my batons have different grips Yeah. because I've gotten them at different points in my career Yeah. and the one that I broke the tip off is my most current one Yeah. and it has the most comfortable grip I don't need to like squeeze or anything and I've also been like struggling with tendonitis recently so oh, no, it's, it's something that I needed to yeah I needed yeah. to have the so yeah I just kept it and only it, it was only a little bit broke off but okay. I went and got it repaired so it's back oh, okay. to normal now <laughs> oh I didn't realize you can repair I guess that makes sense though yeah i'm sorry to pick your brain i just so rarely get a conductor on no you're fine podcast. you're fine <laughs> So could you describe the grip? I, I mean, of course, I feel like most musicians mm -hmm. who go through school have to take conducting 101 or whatever at of one course, point. Of course, But I, yeah. just for listeners who maybe never know what any of the proper procedure is or mm -hmm. how did the technique behind holding it. So, you know, because of course they're, the listeners can't see me, but it's easier if you're a string player because if you take your bow hand and just kind of put it in front of you, yeah. it just naturally falls into the bow grip. Right. And so it's kind of like closing the palm of your hand around a small ball mm -hmm. is kind of what it is. And then then you're kind of touching the tip with your thumb and your first finger and your thumb kind of has a little bit of a bend to it. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of how you hold it. Mm -hmm. A lot of people will get different gripped batons depending on how they want to hold it. I occasionally will have sweaty hands. Sure. So getting a wooden baton that has like a high gloss finish on it is not ideal because it's very easy for it to slide out of my hand. Yeah. You know, but cork grips, but I don't like those because I just don't like the way they feel. Right, and so they're I not, just, you need a yeah. little bit of a counterbalance weight, mm -hmm. right? And mm -hmm. the cork is going to be too light probably yeah it that. is it yeah. is i have this wooden handle that is bigger it's it's actually a very big bulb mm -hmm. and then it has a spot for me to bring over pagu batons filigulia who lives here in buffalo made me this baton and it has like a spot part where i could just put my thumb just against the baton I see. and so it's just very comfortable to have the spot there and then you just kind of go and wave at it and then the <laughs> shaft <laughs> the shaft of the baton though can either be wood or fiberglass or carbon fiber Fiber. People tend to use one of those or graphite. Graphite? Oh, I didn't yeah, realize yeah, that. Can yeah. you write a little? I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> 
You said it was like a little Yeah, pencil. just sharpen it. Yeah. Well, I, I, I did have a teacher uh, when I was a kid at my music school in Chicago, Mary School of Music. I had a teacher. She had these King David wooden batons. She said, I have to keep these away from my kids because one of my kids once took it and stuck it in the pencil sharpener because ah! she had an electric pencil sharpener. No. I stuck it in the pencil sharpener no. home and it sharpened oh. and tried to oh write with it. It's like a little and it doesn't shake. work. Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> <It's> like, no. <laughs> Let's not, yeah. let's stay away from pencil sharpeners and batons, everyone. Yeah, exactly. PSA. Right, exactly. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. Oh my gosh. That's so funny though. Okay. <laughs> well, thank you for letting me pick your brain a little bit about this because mm-hmm. it's just little things like that. Oh, I have one more question though. Where do you even go to buy all these? It sounds very customized or custom made. Mm-hmm. So is it like a relationship similar to, let's say a cellist like myself to my maker or my cello maker, not my, not my parents, but like, you know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Your professional maker. My, my, yeah, my, the, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Or like a luthier or something mm-hmm, like that. Yeah, luthier, exactly. Yeah. yeah, so with anything that could be personalized for an artist, you can get something that's sort of, you know, just made in bulk for the vast majority of people that don't want or need custom. And mm-hmm. then you have these smaller custom shops. So for example, if you just want a baton because you want a baton yeah. and you don't really care, mm-hmm. you can go to either King David or Mollard. And that's not saying anything bad about either company, but the reality is they mass produce batons. So, right. It's like know, going need... and getting a Yamaha piano or something. Yeah, exactly. Like exactly. Yeah. It's like it's like going to a place that you know it's going to be quality and you just yeah. need something that works. If you want to go custom, there are several different custom places. There's Custom Baton in Minnesota. Oh. There is, yeah, yeah. Custom, it's Shut in, out. Uh, okay. yeah, yeah, Chris Blunt, I believe is his name. Custom Baton is in Minnesota. I have one of theirs. Newland Batons in Talmadge, Ohio. Tate Newland, fantastic craftsman. Love his batons. He's really great. Shout out to Tate Newland. Pagu Batons here in Buffalo, Philagulia. Right. Shout out to Phil. You know, they also make really great batons. And then there are other people that make them across the country. And to be perfectly honest, all of them are good. It just depends on what works best for yeah, you. Yeah, what your preference is. So, yeah. yeah. That's how mm-hmm. I feel about cello makers as well. Like, I, mm-hmm. there's plenty of really good modern makers, but some worked with me and some didn't kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Anyway, well, thank you again for letting me pick your brain about all this stuff. It's like so interesting to me to mm-hmm. have yeah. that perspective. But can you tell me about Samwise Gamgee, who is... <laughs> <laughs> not who we think it is. Yeah, so if those of you out there are like Samwise Gamgee, isn't that the Hobbit that followed Frodo? Yeah, yes, yes, it is. It is also <laughs> my four-year-old oh. German Shepherd lab <gasps> mix. Oh, stop! Puppy. Oh, yeah. cuteness. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's my boy. I adopted him two years ago. Interestingly enough, so because those of you keeping track, they're like, "Oh, wait, wasn't that the pandemic?" And I'm like, "Actually, I adopted him in September of 2019, so uh-huh. before the pandemic started, right. which was." So- great because i knew that we would work fine and then the pandemic happened and then bonding yeah massive mm-hmm. bonding time yeah. yeah it was uh you know went to a buffalo area shelter and adopted him from there he was two years old and i got him and he's been fantastic the most chill dog you'll ever meet awesome yeah. he doesn't bark unless we are in the house and somebody is coming to the door or i ask him to speak oh or my personal favorite when i'm being crazy and i won't throw the ball outside <laughs> He's like, yo, give me the ball. Yeah, like, <laughs> stop playing with me. <laughs> yeah, right, exactly. He's a bundle of fun. He's fantastic. He lo- he loves to cuddle until he oh, doesn't. Right. Um, okay, <laughs> fair enough. Yeah, he's a great boy. Yeah, he's just fantastic. I love him to death. Oh. 
so, he sounds so yeah. sweet. Oh. Yeah, he is. He really is. Is he as sweet as Sam in the Lord of the Rings movies? Yes. Yes, okay. he is. I would say so. Also, okay, so fun story about that. So Sam follows Frodo yes. in Lord of the Rings. Are you um, Frodo? No. Okay. So, so here's the funny thing about it. I was at a friend's for Thanksgiving this past year, uh-huh. and Sam, when he gets excited or when he gets kind of nervous, he'll chase his tail. Yeah. And so he was chasing his tail, chasing his tail. And then one of my friends was like, so we've decided that his tail is named Frodo. Okay. Because he keeps chasing <laughs> I was like, oh my god. That's perfect. And it's a yeah. ring too. So. Yeah, exactly, right? It's a ring. It's it's great. It's fantastic. It's cyclic in every way possible. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's awesome. Well, please give him a huge little pet on the head from me. I definitely will. Yeah, love he that. sounds so sweet. All mm-hmm. right. Are you ready for some spitfire questions? Oh, here we go. Okay. I'm prepared. Okay. Mahler or Bruckner? Mahler. Debussy or Ravel? Ravel. Cats or dogs? I mean Dogs. Yeah. Appetizer or dessert? Dessert. Okay. <laughs> I hear you. I hear you. Okay. What's your favorite dessert? Oh my goodness. I love cheesecake and I love tiramisu. Yes. Yeah. Both are excellent choices. Mm-hmm. Sparkling or still water? Still. Fan favorite question, and I'll leave this up to your interpretation. Alternate universe musical instrument. Oh God. It's a tie. My favorite instrument doesn't exist. My favorite instrument would be if a horn and a cello had a baby. Oh my God. So, <laughs> so if that was an instrument that existed, I would play that. I um, feel like there's got to be a woodwind instrument in there somewhere. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that would like fit that. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. No, because I, I love horn, but I also love cello. Yeah. So it'd probably be one of those two. It's a pretty good combo, I have mm-hmm. to admit. So the first Spitfire question, I have a slight addendum to the Mahler-Bruckner thing. Okay. I prefer Mahler, unless we're talking about Bruckner's sacred works, in which case I prefer Bruckner. Right. But Bruckner's symphonies, I'm kind of like, eh. Okay. Eh. But yeah, I mean, that's why I feel like that's a trickier question than face value. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's why yeah. I'm always I'm like curious what people say. Early bird or night owl? Early bird. Oh, wow. Good. <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh. I just Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kind of a little bit of both. My parents are one or the other, uh-huh. and sometimes I try to stay up late and it doesn't always work, but if I wake up early, I'm fine. Oh, okay. Really weird. Well, good. Yeah. No, that's that's awesome. <laughs> Pandemic guilty pleasure? It was baking bread until uh-huh. it was doing detriment to my health. I understand. So I yes. <laughs> See, right? That's the problem. It's I don't yeah. know. I live by myself, so like, mm-hmm. if I make food, I have to eat it all. Or I mean, I can yeah, Same. Yeah. yeah. It's just like, mm-hmm. I make yeah. this loaf and I'm like, yes. And it's <laughs> Like, and then there's know. the butter just sitting right there and mm-hmm. you're just like, oh. Yeah, there you go. Goodness in life. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, so outside of bread, what was? Oh, geez. I was okay. gaming a lot more than I had been, so. Yeah. You and me yeah. both. <laughs> yeah. So, that way. What games? Yeah. I am a huge Star Wars nut, so okay. the game Star Wars The Old Republic, it's a massive multiplayer online game, so I uh-huh. played on my computer that I built myself, yes. Awesome. So, um, yeah. yeah, so I'm, yeah, I'm just a nerd in all ways, so. <laughs> no, I mean, but, um, it's yeah. fascinating. I mean, I think yeah. I really admire people that are able to build a computer i mean that's like i know it's like there's an instruction manual in some ways it's like straightforward but it's like also you gotta know a lot it's very therapeutic for me actually and i think it's because so much of what i do is artistic and emotional expression Mm -hmm. and the thing about building computers is just very technical and straight and like here it is there's no questions about what to do yeah i get you yeah okay favorite professor shout out my primary teacher at Boston Conservatory, Bruce Hangen. I love the man to death. I feel like he is the best conductor the world is not as aware of as they should be. Mm. I love him to death. He taught me so much about the baton and about music, but also about things off the podium. And mm. I don't think that organizations teach conductors or prepare them enough for things that happen off the podium. I don't mm-hmm. think that happens. So I really have to shout him out for that. He's just fantastic in that way. Is it like administrative stuff or is it ju- like interpersonal? 
interpersonal their, dynamics, like that kind mm-hmm. of interpersonal yeah, dynamics, administrative stuff. So side note, if you're in an organization and there's a master agreement, so like, you know, with a Minnesota Orchestra, for example, whatever their current master agreement is, is private to the orchestra. Mm-hmm. But once it is not active anymore, once they've moved on to their next one, it can be seen oh, by other parties. Right. And so he brought in like a twice or three times expired BSO master agreement Got to you. show us how master agreements work. Yeah. And he was like, at some point, you will need to know some of this, especially if you're in a smaller organization, you know, yeah. and stuff like this. And, you know, and it's all these things that when you get to the professional world, they almost expect you to know already. Right. But nobody but, taught you. Right. So it's like, how do you? <laughs> yeah. You yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly. So I do want to shout out a non-music professor I had mm-hmm. when I was an undergrad. His name was Alan Farmer at Ohio State. He was an English professor, one of the best professors I ever had. I took several Shakespeare classes with him. Awesome. Yeah. And he was just, yeah, he was just, he's very dynamic and just, he's just awesome. He was just really great. So, so for me, what I love about Shakespeare, and I'm, I'm just projecting onto your story right now, is that there's so much detail and meaning and purpose behind every word and dialogue and scene construction. Mm-hmm. And is that something that you learned from your teacher? Or was that like, is that what was an emphasis? Or was there something, was there another level? Oh, no, it? that no, that was the emphasis. The emphasis was not just reading the words, but understanding what they meant, who mm-hmm. they were, who were these people, what are their stories, what are their lives, mm-hmm. which is so much of how I approach music. And so to that end, you know, to round out the trifecta, my voice teacher in undergrad, Andy Blosser at Ohio State as well, he just taught me so much about myself as well as my voice and how to approach music because Ohio State has this thing with the voice department. Before you sing any notes, what are you singing? What right. language is it in? Is there a translation? What does the translation mean? Poetic versus literal. What, who was the composer? What were they doing at the time at this point in their life? Were they married? Were they unmarried? Was there unrequited affection? Were they a failure by society? You know, what are all of the things political... surrounding? Yeah. Exactly. And you have to know all of that before you're able to sing one note. Right. And that's how I approach music all the time. Because if I don't know all of that, then my interpretation of the music is less about what was happening when it was written and more about what I want it to be. And so I have to do both. I can't just do one or the other. So Yeah, totally. I feel very similarly, by the way. Mm-hmm. And Okay. And yeah, and I just, I'm appreciative of hearing it from a, another perspective as well. Mm-hmm. Of like, I feel like a lot of people who view classical musicians or just maybe even a conductor sitting on a podium, they don't have an idea of what is going behind all of that. And there's so much depth research before even as, yeah. you know, as you say, even saying, speaking, singing a note or even cueing yeah. a downbeat or something like mm-hmm. that. Yeah, it's just one of those things that, you know, you have to know all of the historical basis of what it is and then, you know, think about how you want to interpret that based on that, but also based on what is happening in the day now. Why am I programming this piece? Right. Am I programming it just to program it or is there a reason for it? Right. You know, what story am I trying to tell now? Am I trying to tell a historical perspective story? Am I trying to use a historical perspective to tell a current day story? You know, and all of these things have to happen when you program because yeah. programming is a lot more than just here's an overture concerto symphony and mm-hmm. saying like it because it's out there. That's not programming. No. It really isn't. It's that used of, to be programming. Yeah, Let's it put it that be, way. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it used to be programming, but it's not anymore. And unfortunately, some of my colleagues do not believe that it is not anymore. Oh, uh, <laughs> yeah. And we will and we will just leave it at that. But, yeah, um, we'll leave it. Yeah. There's just so much happening in the world. And I'm not saying this from a perspective of, you know, we need to save classical music. Blah, blah, blah. I don't think classical music needs saving. I mm-hmm. just think we need to be better informed about how we present our craft. I agree. And how we do our work. We just need to do better. Yeah. On board. I'm, yeah. I'm there with you. <laughs> 
Okay. Most inspired musical hero of any genre. Oh. (laughs) Sorry. Oh my god! I can't! I can't do this. No. <laughs> uh, <laughs> there, I love so many people for so many reasons. I will say I'm a huge film nut, so I love John Williams. A lot of people oh. will have different feelings about John Williams, but I love him. Yeah, I love what he does. It's just what he does. What film music is, though, is attributed to another composer that I really love, which is Corn Gold. Oh yes, of course. Yeah, Corn Gold is the father. I was gonna say the OG. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Literally, literally, he's the OG, and it's yeah. just like and. He here we are, you know, yeah. Hollywood film music would not be what it is today without Corn Gold, starting with, you know, the Errol Flynn Robin Hood back in 1938, right. I believe it was. But as far as like current person doing things, my professional father figure is Tom Wilkins, uh, mm-hmm. conductor. Mm-hmm. Love Tom to death. He mm-hmm. is fantastic. He is such a great person. I got the opportunity to meet him through my teacher, Bruce. We went to a BSO education concert and I got to meet Tom that way. And I see. we've been connected ever since. Awesome. So yeah, he's fantastic. Most transformative performance experience oh yeah i know this one (laughs) i i have told people this story before so this is the fun one okay okay so the year is 2004 i am 14 years old and i'm originally from chicago so what i did was at that time you know being an african-american from a middle-class family you don't always have access to certain things or lower middle you know middle middle class Uh, somewhere rather and my elementary school music teacher who's also african-american and male had the opportunity to get tickets for things so this summer he would always get discounted tickets or free tickets for Ravinia, which is where the CSO is over the summer. And so he got tickets for a Ravinia concert and I got to go and I was really excited. And so I go and I sit in the pavilion and it was James Conlon, the Chicago Symphony Orchestra, the Chicago Symphony Chorus, the Glen Ellen Children's Chorus and soloists. Do you know what they did on this program? They did, the first half of the program was Dmitry Shostakovich's The Execution of Stefan Razin. Oh my God. Which is a cantata. It's just... It's amazing. It's this amazing cantata about this folk hero, Stenka Razin. And then after intermission, they did Carmina Burana. Oh, geez. (laughs) It was like this. Oh, like double punch. This was like this literally like this avalanche of sound and amazingness. And I like, I was transformed. Choral orchestral works are the thing that I will like. You live for. Yeah, I live for it. I live. I cannot wait till the first time I get to conduct Sea Symphony. But anyway, you know, it's just like one of those things where that concert has set as stamped forevermore like on me I was like yeah, yeah this is what I'm doing I can't wow. do anything else yeah it does make so much sense it's like it was it like a dream that you never really knew you wanted and then mm-hmm. you saw it and you're like oh my god that's it that's magic yeah, yeah well and, and the thing was you know I had been in music for a while and I had wanted to conduct for a while oh, okay but wanting to do something and then having that transformative experience that tells you you can't do anything else yeah are not the same thing so I yeah. wanted to do it until that experience and then I was like I nothing must. else comes close yeah i was like i must nothing else comes close so that's cool and i just think about the musicians on stage Mm -hmm. and that they have no idea that they imprinted on you you know what i mean like i feel like i take that for granted myself as a performer that i Mm -hmm. just i show up i perform i think i do okay or whatever and and then i leave and i go home but then i don't really realize sometimes the impact that i might even have not to put myself on a pedestal by any means just saying that like it's that's where for me i always am like i'm never afraid that classical music's ever gonna like go away or die 
because of experiences that you had at such a young age to like yeah and, and and the thing is people too different people will say you know yeah there's so many concerts you know it's easy to like gloss over uh, you know gloss over and just get annoyed or tired or yeah. phone it in or whatever and i tell people all the time and this is also not to put myself on a pedestal but i tell people all the time whenever i get on the podium for a concert i'm only conducting for two people and those two people are the person that is there for the first time and the person that is there for the last time mm-hmm. and those are the only two people that i'm conducting for those mm-hmm. are the only two people i want to reach with the music if everybody else is reached then that's that's fantastic that's wonderful right. but i want to reach the person that has never heard this before and i want to reach the person that may never hear this again oh my gosh i'm getting chills so, Ooh, sorry <laughs> all the feels no it's so true though it's so true yeah that's that's why and that's why i do what i do that's why i love performing because you get to share an experience with someone and you never yeah. know you never know who it's going to be yeah you, know, you, that's you the thing. never know you really yeah. don't oh such a good answer okay desert island piece of any genre oh god <laughs> i can't even think <laughs> I know, I don't make this easy. I'm sorry. No. <laughs> this is so hard. The well, th- so, it's going to be it's yeah. going to be a cor- uh, orchestral chorale. Yeah, yeah, right. Piece. It has to be one of those. Yeah, yeah because because my brain started thinking Beyoncé, but then I was like, no, I'd get tired <laughs> of that after like the 50th time I'd probably get tired. The But we love mm, Beyoncé too. Yeah, yeah. No. <laughs> no, throw her in there. Yeah. <laughs> throw her in there. <laughs> Slide her under the rug. Nobody knows she's there with me and I'm like, yeah. Here we go. <laughs> No, if it is Beyonce, it would be Get Me Bodied from her B-Day album, just because okay. I love that song so much. I just yeah. dance to it. The long version, not the short version. Of There's course. a long version with all the dance moves. Yeah. But choral orchestrally, my favorite right now, because this always changes, I really want to do Sea Symphony. That's one of my favorites. And I really want to do Britain War Requiem, because that's another one of my favorites. Yes. But the piece that I cannot get off my mind right now is Osvaldo Golozhov's Passon Segun San Marcos, the St. Mark Passion by Golozhov. Oh. If you don't know it i don't find it listen to it it is the most amazing thing you will ever hear there are a lot of african latin rhythms and beats and drums and things in it Uh but also it is just a telling of the saint mark passion in a way that no passion has been told in classical and orchestral music before there's a recording by deutsche gramophone the premiere of the piece got a 25 minute standing ovation oh my god yeah wow okay it's a great piece yeah you can look up galajov a saint mark passion and probably but the title of it is actually in spanish so sure. pasión según san marcos awesome yeah. i'm definitely gonna put that on our spotify playlist if it's i'm assuming it's on spotify yeah, oh yeah yeah, yeah 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 okay. yeah it's on spotify okay well you've completed the spitfire questions congratulations oh, wow. thank you <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I try to make a melody. <laughs> oh, no. It actually worked pretty well, believe oh, it or not. You. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, there's only so many limited. Yeah, right. Yeah, that's the, thing. So well, that's the like, thing about no. harmonica. I feel like there's a lot of pitch bending that happens, which is how they is how yeah. most people do it. But I, I can't that. play harmonica. Yeah. Yeah. How do you do I don't know. Anyway, yeah, yeah, I'll, I, I'll have yeah, to take it's... some lessons. Okay, Jamon, can you walk me through your musical origin story? How did you... Well, you've already did a little bit by mm-hmm. talking about the transformative experience, but just overall, how did you enter the classical music world field area? We know when you decided that this was a must for you, and mm-hmm. along the way, what you did to where you are today. Well, it started about second grade, actually. I went mm-hmm. to an elementary school, so it's called Edgar Allan Poe Classical School, and classical in the Chicago Public 
public school system just mean it's a selective enrollment school. And so schools with selective enrollment are either called classical, magnet, etc. And right. so because we were called classical, though, the school decided to take a day every year to play classical music, okay. you know, just for the students to hear. And I was in second grade and I heard this music and I don't remember what it was, but I was, you know, I was, I was like, this is cool. And all of my, you know, I was in a predominantly black school and all of my friends were like, what is this? This is weird. What? <laughs> <laughs> I don't like this. Where's and two so, and four? <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. Well, I'm just, you know, and then they're looking at me like, I don't like this. And I'm like, I don't like this either. Huh? You know, because yeah. peer pressure, of course, you know, yeah. so, but I did like it and I went home and just thought about it a little bit, but there was a, so back in those days, Microsoft used to, when you got new computers, they would give you like a CD, a part of a suite of their products. And so, you know, the crown jewel of this suite was Encarta. So everybody yes. wanted Microsoft Encarta. Yes. But one of the programs that was a part of it that I used was Microsoft Musical Instruments. Mm -hmm. And so we had a compact Rosario running Windows 95. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Throwback yes. to oh my gosh, compact. Throwback. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Throw, you know, you'd put the CD in there. Windows. Oh my goodness. Yes. I used to play Hot Wheels on a floppy. Oh, <laughs> Yeah, so um, I would put the CD in and it would start up the program and Microsoft Musical Instruments would just, you know, it would be like, okay, here we are. And you could pick any instrument from Western classical tradition or from other parts of the world. And it would play you a little clip of the instrument. And then there was an ensemble button or it was either called ensemble or in a group or something like that. And they would give you different ensemble examples. So I became attached to the violin very easily. Mm -hmm. The violin excerpt was the beginning of the prelude of the uh, E major partita. Oh. So, yeah. Okay, Just start, like, jamming out. <laughs> yeah. yeah so, exactly. so, anyway, um... <laughs> I would listen to that and then the, the little ensemble button, I would press the orchestra one and it would give me the first entrance of the main theme in the Bach A minor concerto. Anyway, wrong key for those of you that are perfect oh, wait, pitch. I apologize. Right. Yeah, yeah. They, <laughs> they had a bluegrass example. They had a, you know, a chamber example. And okay. the chamber example was the last movement of the Dvorak American Quartet. Oh, fun. So oh. yeah, bum, yeah, yeah, exactly. It's just so much fun. So <laughs> So I would just listen to that on repeat. You know, I would listen yeah. to other instruments. I would listen to other things. And the cool thing was when I found out at one point that, so this is where my computer stuff came out. I found out that I could open the disc as a, like a file in Windows Explorer and I uh -huh. could excerpt different clips that it had on the program. Oh. And so I took the pipe organ example uh -huh. and used it as the Windows shutdown theme. The <laughs> pipe organ ensemble example was like the last 20 bars of Session 3. So it's just like, yes. it's just like, it was hilarious. Oh my so God, that's amazing. every time I would shut down the computer, it would make that sound. And my mom was like, why does that sound so, and I was like, epic. It just does. The computer shutting down is epic. But anyway, I would just listen to that and I fell in love with the violin. And then I told my dad, I said, I want to play violin. And my dad was like, okay. And I was just like, I, I just, I, I want to play violin. He's like, eh. so I begged him for a year when I was in third grade, we had the opportunity. There was a company called Quinlan and Famish. They were willing to do a rental program with my school. Uh -huh. And they said, you know, we're willing to rent, you know, string instruments, wind instruments, whatever. And I told them I wanted to play violin. And so my parents came to the information session.
fashion, saw that it was affordable. Good. And they were like, okay, let's try this. Yeah. My dad thought that it was, you know, I was a kid, so it was going to be those one of those one-year trial things, you know, as kids do. Yeah. It's like, I want to do this. They only do it for a year, put it down. I want to do this now. But I stuck with it. And my friends, some of them joined me. And then by the time I left that school after sixth grade, I was the only one still playing. And my teacher told me, yeah, it was sixth grade. He said to me, you're leaving the school A, but B, you need more training than I can provide. Mm-hmm. He said, so here is a list of music schools to try. Mm-hmm. And so I looked at all of them, but the Merritt School of Music was the top choice. And I said, let me try it. I was thinking of going somewhere that wasn't the top choice because I was like, I'm probably not good enough. Oh, but yeah, yeah. I went to Merritt and I auditioned and they put me in the, or I didn't have to audition. They put me in the preparatory program. Mm-hmm. And so I was in a string orchestra and I was getting private lessons and it was a lot of fun. And I did that for a year. And then I said, I wanted to do the tuition free conservatory, which was the hard program. Tuition free conservatory was hard. You had to audition. You didn't pay tuition. And then there was the morning and the evening. So TFC only met on Saturdays. So morning was you're better than prep, but not as good as the evening TFC. And the evening TFC is like, yeah. Yeah. So (laughs) I auditioned and got into evening TFC on my first try. Oh, awesome. (laughs) And I was like so happy. And I was like, yes. Yeah. And and my parents were even happier. Mm -hmm. Yeah. My parents were even happier because they didn't have to pay. To pay. (laughs) Right. Yeah. So yeah. So we just had a fundraising goal that we would have to do every year. It was like 200 some dollars or something like that. It wasn't that bad. Going through that process with Merritt, I got to play all kind of different rep. By that point, I was in seventh grade all the way through high school. And I also played in orchestra in my my, uh, high school, rather, Jones College Prep downtown. Did a lot of playing. And that was the majority of my high school career. And I also sang in choir in high school. But by the time I got to January of my senior year, I was like, I've been doing this for so long. Do I really want to do it? Or is it the thing that everybody just expects me to do? Mm. And so I went to college undecided. I went to Ohio State undecided. And so I sang in a choir when I first got there, trying to do other things, tried my hand at literally everything from engineering to comm. And so finally, midway through my second year, I said, I know what I want to do, which means that right now I need to get a voice degree. So I auditioned for the voice program, got in, got a wonderful teacher, started in the voice program. And then after some trials and tribulations going through undergrad, I finally graduated with Mm -hmm. my voice degree. I had been playing violin sort of throughout my undergrad, but the last bit, because I was trying to set myself up for what I needed to do next, I started an orchestra while at Ohio State called Buckeye Philharmonic. And so I ran that orchestra for two years. That orchestra still exists today. Oh my God, that's amazing. (laughs) Yeah, it's still, it's still student run. It's still there. They're doing the thing. It's great. I'm so proud of them. But How um, many years has it been? Oh, wow. I started it in 2013. So it's been almost 10 years. It's almost, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, it's been almost 10 years. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, it was just just so much fun. So I did that and that allowed me to have some experience conducting, but also some video footage for me to apply for grad school. Mm -hmm. And so I applied to grad school and I got into Boston Conservatory. On voice? No, on conducting. I applied for conducting. Yeah. Okay, so hold on. Okay. So I'm partially curious why you, uh, I was going to use the word ditched violin, but I, I know that's not necessarily true. Just what was the reason to get a voice degree? And then also, when did you, was it through the Buckeye Symphony? So yeah. so here, I will go back and pick up some straggling bits that I just hadn't spoken about yet. When I was eight years old, at the same time I wanted to play violin, I realized I wanted to stand in front of an orchestra. I didn't know that that meant conducting. I just knew I wanted to stand in front of an orchestra and do that. And that was because I went and saw one of my favorite film scores in theaters. I went and saw the Prince of Egypt DreamWorks 
animation. Mm-hmm. Uh, came out in '98. That's a Hans Zimmer score. Saw it. Love Prince of Egypt. The score made me is what made me want to conduct. Film scores have always been a part of my heart. So yeah. I knew that, but I saw no conductors that looked like me. So I kept <laughs> dropping it. It kept picking it up, dropping it, picking it up, dropping it, and yeah. that just kind of happened over the years. When I was in my senior year of high school, high school. I switched to viola. Oh, okay. Because all of the violas had graduated. And then you did a violist. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But Naturally. I realized that I liked viola better. So violas unite. Violinists leave us alone. The um. <laughs> No, and and the funny thing about it is a lot of people thought I should have started on viola because of the size of my hands. I sure. start I started on a full size violin at age eight. So oh think my about God. that. Yeah, so think about that. Maybe you should have played bass. <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah. But they were like, Yeah, we probably should have put you because the viola that I'm comfortable playing is a sixteen and a half. So oh, wow. it's not it's not a small viola. No, it's so, not. So <laughs> yeah. So it's like, okay. So I played violin and viola simultaneously for a bit. Now if people ask me to play anything, I only play viola. But um, conducting was always the dream. It always was. Choral orchestral stuff was always the dream. In undergrad, I knew I wanted to do choral orchestral, but I knew I needed a voice degree because I had seen many, many conductors that were really, let's say, knowledgeable about what they were knowledgeable about and ignorant about what they were ignorant about. Okay. And, and I don't mean that in I like get, a mean disparaging way. But I like, get you though. I understand yeah. what you're saying. Mm-hmm. You wanted to kind of diversify your expertise. Yeah. And so you... Yeah, because I was like, how can I be a choral orchestral conductor if I only know one side to use a yeah. sports reference I only know one side of the football and not the other you know right. it's like trying to coach a football team and not knowing anything about defense you yes. know it's it's you can't do it without knowing both without Walking having the walk a, yeah exactly yeah. so that's why I have the voice degree mm-hmm. and then I also did some instrumental stuff while in undergrad and then when I applied to BOCOs for the conducting because I was like I have the backgrounds I wanted let's go yes. so okay. <laughs> <laughs> and so and so I got into BOCO and it was so much fun I did so many things at Boko. I is that where you met Nate? <laughs> yes, that is where I met Nate. Okay, yes. that is where yeah. Nate and I met. Yeah, and we yeah we've been friends ever since. It's great. The crazy thing about Boko is that there are so many opportunities to do things, and so I was like, hey, I want to do more, so I'm just gonna start a random orchestra to do. So I did two ad hoc orchestras, one in each year I was there. Okay, um, with different programs. The first year I was there, we did Star Wars and some other stuff, Fountains of Rome, Star Wars. You uh-huh. know, the second year it was more of a chamber thing. I did Mendelssohn one and Elgar String Serenade and mm-hmm. then people were asking me to do their senior composition recitals I was doing a lot of yeah it was just it was fun it was a lot of fun and so after all of my training at Boco the summer after that the position I currently have with the Buffalo Phil became open and I applied and now I'm here and I've been here since the fall of 2018 wow in this position congratulations yeah, thank you it's inspiring but also very logical and methodical mm-hmm. but I don't know if you planned it to be that way I, no. <laughs> no, <laughs> no. Also, I was just like, tired of being told no. That's all it was. Sure. Yeah. Hey, yeah. I mean, that's a huge, that's a huge thing is mm-hmm. either being told or thinking that you would be rejected or something like mm-hmm. that. I'm incredibly impressed though with the number of orchestras that you started. That's not something that you wake up every day thinking you're going to do. I mean, right, maybe you do, right. but... I, like, yeah. <laughs> I would, I, yeah, I mean, and, and here we are with Polaris as well. Like, that was, I believe the story goes, you connected with Nate and Gabby, and we we're like, let's make the actual orchestra representative of mm-hmm. the people in America at this mm-hmm. time. Yeah. Right. So, I met Gabby while I was in Boston through a mutual friend, and then we reconnected at Sphinx in 2020, you know, and we've been consistently connected since then. But it happened in the middle of the pandemic. It was June of 2020. Right. I realized that. 
that at every level, so another thing was at every level, I kept saying, okay, I don't see the representation that I want to see that I feel like should be there. Maybe mm-hmm. it's happening at a higher level and I'm just not there yet. You know, I said that when I was at school. I said that before I went to the music school, didn't see it there. Maybe it's mm-hmm. in high school, wasn't in high school. Maybe mm-hmm. it's in college. It's not in college at a traditional four-year institution. Maybe it's at a conservatory, which was a conservatory for grad school, wasn't there either. Maybe it's mm-hmm. in the professional world. Go to the professional world, it's not there either. So right. it's like, <laughs> yeah. you or know, because, yeah. yeah. Yeah, exactly. And the thing that, you know, you'll hear people say a lot is you don't know whether something is or is not until you're on that level. And so, you know, observing things from not the level is one thing, but being on the level and observing is something different, which Mm -hmm. is why, like, for example, when I was in my undergrad and I hadn't been at a conservatory, I didn't really see representation at conservatory level, but I was like, I'm not at one. So I can't really speak, you know, with any sort of... Yeah, 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 expertise. Yeah, exactly. Experience. So, and then I got there and then I was like, oh, okay, well... (laughs) Yeah, still not here. Yeah, Yeah. gotta do it. And I was tired of waiting for other people to gain the impetus or what have you to get it going. Yeah. I mean, I think that's what I'm saying is that you really take charge and that you see what's lacking and you try to fill that void. Mm -hmm. And that's so admirable. I mean, that's, yeah. Are there any upcoming projects with any of your affiliated groups? We're about to start our spring with both Buffalo Phil and with my choir, Buffalo Master Chorale. Polaris is currently going through a revamp of sorts because with the pandemic stretching itself on and not quite knowing what's going on, we're trying to figure out how we're going to move forward where I'm trying to move myself to the DMV area because Polaris is based in DC. So I'm trying Mm -hmm. to move myself to the DMV area one way or another. We shall see. Possibly, I will just say that I'm trying to move over there. So we'll see how it happens and how quickly it happens. But I am trying to get to that area. My Mm -hmm. current contract with the Buffalo Phil is ending, unfortunately. So I will be moving from here. But I'm trying to make sure that my move is closer to there so that I can get boots on the ground and get moving that way. Yeah. Well, Mm -hmm. is this a good time to take a break? Oh, yeah. Okay, great. We'll be right back. Welcome back from the break. So, Jaman, how did you get into real estate? Oh, my goodness. So, this is kind of one of those hobby-type things that I've had for my entire life. So, I use real estate as a broad term right now because I don't have my license yet because I okay. don't want to get it until I'm firmly planted in an area because okay. I, just personally, this just, you know, I could easily get it and transfer it, but I would just rather do it when I get planted Yeah, you want to be stable. Mm-hmm. So, I grew up in a small house and my parents at one point were deciding whether or not to put an addition on the house. And so they contacted an architect. The architect made plans and they were like on a shelf somewhere. And my parents ultimately decided not to do it. But I would just go find the shelf with the plans and just pour over the plans oh. Oh, for like days. And I'm a kid. I don't know what I'm looking at. Like, yeah. you know, it's like electrical yeah. junction box here and, you know, all this other stuff. And so I'm looking yeah. at it, but I'm like, this is really cool. And I was always really into like floor plans and houses and what makes up yeah. a house and what's, you know. Yeah. And of course, I'm a HGT TV person. I'm just, you know, <laughs> attached to the channel, can't get yeah. off of it. And as an African American and seeing, you know, sort of the plight of, not sort of, but but seeing the plight of yeah. my people, especially yeah. as it relates to housing and housing affordability and, you know, mm-hmm. location and gentrification and all of those things. Ugh. It became, you know, living in Chicago, which is a heavily segregated city, you know, it's something that's always been near and dear to me. And my parents haven't been able to move yet, but they're probably going to move here soon. But I have been thinking a lot 
about what I wanted to do with real estate because real estate was always been a passion of mine, just sort of the buying and selling of houses, making the houses better, what goes into this, you know, what it means for certain people doing certain things. And I want to get to a point where I can become not both a realtor and a contractor, but I can get licensed as a realtor and then, you know, partner with someone that's a contractor and build, you know, smaller, like, like buy huge plots and then build smaller planned communities specifically geared towards first-time home buyers. More specific than that, first-time home buyers of color so yes. that people can afford to build equity in mm-hmm. a neighborhood that, you know, they want to be in, that they're proud to live in, won't have to worry about getting gentrified out of, you know, mm-hmm. and things such as that. And that's not me to say, you know, we need, oh my God, I'm just going to take over, you know, because because a lot of people hear that yeah. and some people go, okay, so you're trying to segregate us further? Or you, what, what are you trying to do? And I'm like, yeah. there need to be spaces that are meant for black people, just like people want integrated spaces. The African-American experience is very specific to us. And so there need to be spaces for just us too. But beyond those comments, there need to be opportunities for black young professionals, regardless of income and mm-hmm. just black people in general, regardless of stage of life or income, that they're able to own a house that they so desire. Like owning a house should be a desire, not a financial necessity to rent. Like you should right. you should say, I want to rent because I either I don't want all the responsibilities of home ownership or whatever. It shouldn't be, well, I'm going to rent because I can't. And the other problem is too, you have a lot of situations where the mortgage payment is less than the rent payment and people can afford the mortgage payment, but they can't afford getting approved for the mortgage, right? which is ridiculous. So oh, so yeah, yes. so that's why I'm in real estate, why I love it, why, what I want to do with it. It's just really important to me. For example, this generation, I'm 32. I am terrified of owning my first home in terms mm-hmm. of pay because my dad, his first home was like very affordable for him. There are other people I know that bought homes in, you know, the 80s for like $20,000, $25,000. And that was comparable to what they were making at the time. And it was something that they were able to, you know, whatever. Nowadays, you know, the median home price in the United States is over three fifty dollars right now. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's just like right in there. A starter home for our generation, if you want to account for inflation and whatnot, a starter home for our generation should be somewhere between 150 and 200. That should be a starter home. Mm-hmm. But starter homes for many of us in this generation are going to be somewhere closer to four. Uh, three, like low. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like <laughs> mid threes to up to lower four. And it's just, and you can find housing that is lower than that, that's on that sort of 150 to 200 scale. But what you're trying to gain in price savings, you're going to end up sacrificing with location, with how people take care of the neighborhood, not necessarily the people that live there, but how the city takes care of the neighborhood, you know, mm-hmm. where you live. Because it's not always the people in the neighborhood. Sometimes it's the city has decided that that area is not worth keeping up because the income is lower and they'll be all right. And it's fine because that happens too. Right. And, um, and that's not something the community itself can control. Like, like for example, right. you can complain, like my dad and a lot of other people on the block, like we're calling the city of Chicago to complain year after year after year until finally the city came out and fixed the sewers. Because if there was a heavy rainstorm, water would back up into the street oh. and they just have sitting water in the street. And the city, Very yeah, yeah, exactly. And, and the city yeah. didn't care about that. And that has nothing to do with the people living there because they can't right. control the public sewer. Right. You know, like the street needed to be repaved for 25, 30 years. And it finally got repaved five years ago. <laughs> like, Come on. You know, it's yeah. like, what? Right. You know, my parents oh. live on the South side in a, in a heavily black area. And yes, you know, right. so it's like, what? It's so overwhelming to me. A book that I highly recommend everyone read. It reads like a novel, but it's obviously not, mm-hmm. is Evicted by Matthew Desmond. And Matthew Desmond is a sociologist and he studied 
in the early 2000s, I think he followed around like five or six families Mm -hmm. in the Milwaukee area. Oh, yeah. Oh, man. And and, and he, yes, and he followed families that were renters. He followed the rentees and he followed a couple other, I mean, I, I could read this book again and learn so much more, but it's so humbling. And he also doesn't necessarily have answers or solutions. He's just pointing out this is the reality of so many people's lives. And when it comes just to basic housing mm-hmm. and so many disadvantages that happen for racist reasons, let's put it. I mean, mm-hmm. because they happen to be black, that they are disadvantaged mm-hmm. from the get go. Anyway, I just feel so torn about this subject. So I, I guess I just am like, does that not <laughs> eat at your... <laughs> oh, no. I, mean, I guess oh, that no. gives you purpose, yeah, though, yeah, right? Yeah, it does. It really does. And it does eat yeah. at me, but it gives me purpose for why I want to do this. And, you know, a lot of people are saying, but you're a musician. Don't you have all this other stuff to do? What do you? Why do you still have time to do that, too? And I explain to people that I know how to budget my time. Mm-hmm. I know how to allot it to the things that mean the most to me. And helping my people means a lot to me. And I'm trying to do the same thing through music as well. You know, not just my people, but all persons of color and all women that, you know, have been marginalized and underprivileged for so long in this field. Mm-hmm. It's high time for us to be acknowledged for who we are and not for who we aren't. You know, so that's really important to me. The other thing, though, too, on the real estate front, just to make a comment about it, is uh, what some people don't know, because you will hear a lot of people say, well, you know, can't you get public housing help? Aren't there like public, lo- you know, government loans that can help you with that and stuff like that? The thing that a lot of people don't realize is that some sellers will not accept that as a valid form of payment for their home. That's in this book yeah. too, right? Yeah. They talk about mm-hmm. that even, and also it's almost turned away because- yeah. because yeah. of that. There's a stigma with it. And so yeah. when you have that extra money that the government is willing to give you, people are like, oh, if that's how you had to get that, no, we don't want, we don't want to sell to you. We don't want that. And it could be exactly the money they're looking for, but they don't, you know, they don't want that. Like, especially if it's like something like a planned community and the builder is selling, they can completely control who moves in there and who doesn't. And then there are, of course, the other issues with appraisals, which are getting a lot more airtime now than they have been. But the amount of black people across the country that call up their favorite white friend and go, I need you to stay in my house for the appraisal next week and gets rid of all the evidence of themselves living in their own house Mm -hmm. just to get a favorable appraisal. And a lot of people are like, why is that such a big deal? Why can't you just get an appraisal? Why is the appraisal so important? Well, the problem is when a house appraises, that appraised value, regardless of what you're selling the house for, that appraised value is the highest amount a bank will approve for a loan. Mm -hmm. So if the appraisal is low and it's not what the house is supposed to be, that's problematic because you can't sell the house for what it needs to be because the lender won't lend anyone, regardless of who you are. You could be Bill Gates. The lender will not lend you a penny over the appraised value. And that's why that's problematic. Totally. Totally. (laughs) Similarly, I listened to an episode of another podcast briefly talking about Mm -hmm. this or just real estate in general. And I think the example they said was if a black family moves into a white neighborhood, Mm -hmm. if this person was walking their stroller with their baby and they were black that would scare quote unquote scare some potential
potential buyers in the area. So then it convinces homeowners to sell at a lower price and then they jump the price up for other black families to go into that neighborhood and buy that same house mm-hmm. yeah. from a white seller to a black owner. Yeah. But the jump in price is just ridiculous because it's from one racist perspective of like, oh God, this is becoming a black neighborhood. Mm-hmm. I must leave now to the the first time or black owner that wants to buy in a neighborhood that's a better neighborhood, mm-hmm. supposedly, safer neighborhood. Exactly, exactly. It makes no sense to me. You're also reminding me of sort of the thing where back in the day when suburbs started to become a thing is, mm-hmm. you know, it's, they would tell white families, okay, you need to live here. This is where you should be looking for a house. And they would yeah. tell black families that were trying to look at the same area. Oh, that's not a good area for you. You should probably think right. about living over here. And they would deliberately segregate people by telling them where they should buy houses and where they shouldn't mm-hmm. buy houses. And it was ridiculous. And that's how you end up with these all white neighborhoods over here. Jerry, and also gerrymandering yeah, exactly. for gerrymandering. political purposes too. Mm-hmm. It's just like, anyway, I, I know I'm pre, like, I'm, I'm not adding any new information. Like, you know, all this stuff yeah. already. I don't need to like no, no, explain. No, no. But... You're completely fine. It's good that you are aware of it though, because more people need to be aware of it. Yeah. Not everybody is aware of it because it's not necessarily staring them in the face, but this is, right. this is a reality of my existence as a black man in this country. You know, this is a reality of who I am and what I have to look forward to unless I take the time and the effort to make a change. Right. Yep. So now that I, <laughs> I have to laugh because yeah. I mean, it's because it is laughable, first of all, as in like, this is just so ridiculously unfair, mm-hmm. just like, and it feels like it's accumulated from generations past that it seems like it's out of our control in our current generation. Mm-hmm. But what you're saying is that it's not, of course, right? Mm-hmm. And that's the thing. It's like, we do have the power to rewrite and change for the better mm-hmm. to make it yeah. on a more even playing field yeah. and that less about some kind of other construct that is based in horrible traditions right exactly past. exactly right so can you tell me more about what your ideas are for the for the housing you, you started mm-hmm. talking about it yeah earlier. so so one idea i had was to like you know maybe create a, a sort of a thing where you buy a plot of land and then on that plot you know however big it is you build like four i would say single family dwellings you buy and so they have maybe a shared courtyard area but they have their own like backyards maybe and so it's something that you can afford to build my only interest monetarily would be to break even so that I could continue to do this. Like, I'm not interested in necessarily yeah. making a profit from it, but if yeah. I'm able to break even, it means I can continue the process. You build these houses, you sell them specifically to first-time home buyers, and you sell them for a price that's lower than $150,000. Mm-hmm. But because these neighborhoods are undeveloped and manufactured, depending on where you're putting it, you can afford to sell it for that and break even and allow the houses to gain equity. And so the thing is, what you would do is you would build a small community of however many homes here, sell them all to first-time home buyers, and then when they get ready to move out, the houses will have built equity, so they will have equity to be able to move on. And right. then somebody, and that's the biggest yeah, part yeah, of... exactly. That's, that's the biggest like, part of what's going on. That's It's similar to what you were talking about just a second ago about your professor at BOCO, the conductor mm-hmm. professor, when he was showing you those contracts, mm-hmm. and as you're saying, it's like, in the professional world, they assume that you should know right. how to do all right. these things, but oftentimes in school, they don't teach you that, so right. it's like that's that same catch-22 thing with equity. Exactly, exactly. And that's the thing. A lot of people don't realize how powerful equity is. So it's Mm -hmm. like, you know, when you have a home is an appreciating asset. So what you want to do is you want to own the home for a period of time. And then when you're ready to move on, you can sell that home, but you can also have equity that will allow you to buy something up as opposed to parallel, Right. you know, and hopefully you'll be in a position where you've saved some money for the next down payment for wherever that is, et cetera, et cetera. So what I'm trying to do is create housing options for people that have nothing, people that are like, I'm in my first full-time job. 
and I want to live in this area for a period longer than five years, and I want to own a house because it's better than renting. And so when you do that, you do that, and there you go. Some people just like to rent, and that's fine. So Mm -hmm. I also am interested in building like three or four unit buildings that are rent controlled for the area, and so Mm -hmm. have them rent controlled so that people can live there. And these will be places around universities because there are a lot of young professionals. Yeah, exactly, young professionals. And like Boston, for example, was terrible for me trying to find a place to live. It was just terrible. But like finding places to put lower income housing, and I hate that phrase because a lot of times it just mm-hmm. it's just like code for black people. But what I, what mm-hmm. I mean by that is people that are in school, so they don't really have an income. Like how many people do you know in school full time have a legitimate income? No, so, no, I didn't. So yeah, yeah, exactly. So so if you're in school full time, you don't really have an income. So you need to be able to afford to live somewhere without relying on too much outside help. Because if you don't have access to that, you know what are you going to do? Like I was mm-hmm. fortunate enough that my parents were able to help me with certain things along the way. But if mm-hmm. they weren't, you know, where they were in life, then what was I right. to do? Totally. So yeah, the moral of this story is both in real estate as well as in music. My goal is to leave the world better than I found it, but also give people the opportunities either I wish I had or I know need to happen because I didn't have them. Oh my gosh, you are such a wonderful human. Oh, <laughs> like, I mean, if everyone felt that way on such a personal level, change would happen so quicker. Yeah. You know, and the thing is, of course, when you start diving into things like this, there are more and more questions that pop up that are mm-hmm. subject to either scrutiny. I don't know if that's the right word, but there's just finer details that then are like, well, what if I make this decision, then that might. But that's where you hope for future generations to resolve some of that. Yeah, I am not here to plant the seed, water the trees, see it full grown, and then know that, you know, I have done it all. I'm here to plant the seed. It's up to, you know, future people to like continue watering it so that it grows and it flowers. I have to remind myself regularly that just because I have all these ideas, just because I want to do them all, doesn't necessarily mean that I'm going to see them to full and utter fruition. But that doesn't mean I shouldn't try or I shouldn't start. Well, and and clearly, like say the Buckeye Symphony or Philharmonic is a great example of that. Exactly. Because I I was only there for two years and now it's just churning along, you know? (laughs) Yeah. So just talking about real estate in general is is very depressing. Yeah. <laughs> it can be very depressing. Mm-hmm. And I know that it's something in your future, mm-hmm. potentially more near than anything, because mm-hmm. as you say, you want to feel grounded yourself yes. before you yes. go and try to do these projects. And you don't have to spill all the tea right now, but just like, do you have any people that you're trying to connect with? Are there any resources that you know that people can reach out to if they're currently struggling with paying rent or finding their first home, that kind of thing? I would tell people people right now that there are so many ways to find help out there whether or not you know it's I hesitate sometimes to recommend YouTube because it can be a rabbit hole but there are some knowledgeable people on YouTube but also you know just go find someone you know that is in real estate if you can and talk to them as a person not as a potential client talk to a real estate agent talk to a broker try to just talk it out to figure out what's going on because knowledge is power and you don't necessarily have to tell them all of your business to know what's going on. Like if you mm-hmm. feel particularly closed off about you don't want to share your financial situation with people, but you want to know what's out there before you start opening yourself up, then I know that there are people out there that you could seek help from. Depending on your metropolitan area, there will be more or less. If you're in a heavily minority populated area and you're of a minority population, it will be like, you know, like Chicago is good for that. Baltimore is great for that. You know, areas like that that have very high minority populations and have 
people that are willing and ready to help you. There are many tools online. If I had prepared myself better, I could have Sorry. had I, I could have had some things to read. But uh, <laughs> no, that's fine. The biggest piece of advice I can tell you right now that's a lie that a lot of people don't know is that a lot of people think you have to put 20% down to get your first house. And that is incorrect. If you do an FHA, you know, first time home buyer loan, or even a conventional loan, a regular loan, you can put as little as 3% down. Like 20% is a very unattainable number for a lot of people, but Mm -hmm. 3% can be a lot more manageable. Mm -hmm. And when they determine how much house you can afford, all they want to know is your debt to income ratio, Mm -hmm. which is, you know, your income and your debt. But your debt is not everything you spend money on in a month. It's just the things that are your actual bills, like a credit card or a car note. Utilities don't count. Food doesn't count. Stuff like that doesn't count. So if you want to like figure out your rough debt to income ratio, figure out how much money you're bringing in and then how much money is going out to immovable things, such as a credit card bill, car note, etc. Car payment. Yeah, car yeah. payment. So yeah. Okay. Financial advice. Yeah. <laughs> I don't I, yeah, I'm just kidding. Yeah, yeah right. I should, I, should, I should clarify I am not a financial advisor. Do not my... You know, <laughs> like, you know, do the, do the thing. The do, disclaimer. Yeah, yeah, the disclaimer. Yeah. <laughs> I am not a licensed financial professional. Do not take any of my words as anything but opinions. So, or a yeah, direction. Yeah, yeah exactly. Or a direction to pursue. The only thing that I can say sort of with any certainty is that you need to take the time to seek help because mm-hmm. help is out there. And none of us should have to go through this alone. Well, and that's, again, I, I'm sorry I keep bringing so many of these connections back to like who you are as a musician. Oh. But like literally that's like who you are yeah. like you have an orchestra like yeah. that's the, yeah you know you bring people together and that's you can't do it alone there's just no way mm-hmm. like again like a conductor you just have a stick and you can't actually make music mm-hmm. without right. the collection yeah exactly i tell people that all the time i'm like I, I don't make a sound people just think the conductor is this ah, and i'm like I, I i don't make a sound people have to trust who's on the podium mm-hmm. they have to want to work with you they have to trust your vision they have to feel comfortable as a musician mm-hmm. and as a person the performance of music should never come at the expense of the humanity of the people on stage oh totally just, oh yeah i get so sick of seeing and hearing that it really grinds my gears to no end you know yeah. somebody is yelling and screaming and then they get their desired sound you know air quotes around desired sound i think those days are over. yeah yeah let's hope, let's hope well no i thoroughly hope those days are over but i'm yeah. loudly saying to any of you who are trying to perpetuate those days i'm coming for you <laughs> 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 I'm coming for you. Leave those people alone. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Fair enough. When you brought me this topic of real estate, I did not, I should have known, but I didn't really know that this was the direction we were going to go. Mm-hmm. Is there anything I missed along the way of me going down the like truth and reality of <laughs> real estate or any? No. Um, okay. No. I guess from a personal perspective, outside of, you know, my altruistic goals, I have always wanted to have my own house built just because mm-hmm. I'm interested in sort of the process of that. And I want some land around mm-hmm. said house. I don't know where it's going to be. I don't know when I'm going to get it. Yeah. It might be 10 years from now. It might be 30 years from now. I have no idea. But but I know that I one day I will want it. But my immediate goal right now is to have a house big enough that I could like have friends come visit me from out of town and stay with me yeah. and not have to worry about that. But more so a yard so Sam can run around yeah. and I could like throw the frisbee in the backyard. That's really what I want. Sure. So. <laughs> but I think, you know, I think it's going to happen sooner than later. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Well, thank you so much for 
for just opening up the tip of the iceberg of this incredibly, as I say, like unfortunately dark. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> problem there's that we light. have in, there's in light. our country. <laughs> there is. There can yeah, be. There can be and light. that's that's what's so inspiring is that you're doing that. You have ideas and goals, and I believe that you will be able to accomplish it too. Thank you. Your track record already proves oh. so. <laughs> Well, thank you. I appreciate that. May I ask you two final questions? Of course. What is one piece of advice you would tell your younger self about entering and pursuing a music career? You are strong just the way you are. I'm gonna cry. I'm sorry. I sorry. I just it's it's oh, it's so a, important yeah, to hear. Yeah, yeah, you are strong just the way you are. Patience is good, but only for specific situations. And your enthusiasm is fantastic. People aren't put off; they're just jealous that they don't have it. Ooh. The last thing is something that I I still have to tell myself because I I am very enthusiastic about what I do and how I do things and the rehearsal process reaching people the programming process all of these things and i get so excited and i talk to people about it and the amount of people that look at me and go okay you know it's just like they Mm -hmm. they have these very jaded looks or whatever and i'm just kind of like okay well deflate me why don't you you know Mm -hmm. (laughs) but i'm just like Mm -hmm. you know whatever i'm excited go away so yeah sometimes that just has to be your reaction you just say okay not gonna tell you about that anymore you know and then you move on yeah keep your excitement but move on ah okay and my second question as we enter a post-pandemic pandemic world or sorts i don't know how many variants will come around Mm. what elements of your musical pandemic life would you want to continue and what would you want to shed well the biggest element i want to continue obviously is polaris because that started in the pandemic so i'm trying to figure out if there's anything i don't like that i've picked up because i have actually learned a lot the pandemic has been good to me it's been better to me than it has been to a lot of people i have shed a lot of my self-doubt in the pandemic i definitely want to keep that oh my god that's awesome so it's just yeah i don't think i really want to shed anything because I okay. have gained a lot of really great insight. Yeah, perspective. Really great perspective on what huh. I do and who I do it for and why I do it and who I reach. So maybe just the noise around oh, yeah. is what mm-hmm. you want to shed. Yeah. There you go. Yeah, there we go. Are there any platforms or websites for listeners to learn more about you or any upcoming projects? Well, there is the Polaris website, P-O-L-A-R-I-S-O-R-C-H dot O-R-G, PolarisOrc.org. We are in the process of beginning anew and And as we post updates, they will appear on that website. You can also donate to us there if you would like. Polaris is always willing and able to accept donations. Anything as little as $1 goes a long way. If you would like to see me in the Buffalo area, if you're nearby or would like to see me, I will be conducting at the end of February a concert in celebration of African-American composers with Buffalo Opera Unlimited. And I also am doing several concerts with the BPO this year, the kids' concerts and youth things. And my choir has two more concerts this spring so yeah nice Mm -hmm. all right and if you enjoyed listening be sure to smash that subscribe button wherever you're tuning into this podcast leave a review on apple podcasts while you're at it it doesn't need to be long your review will help others search for the podcast because of its crazy algorithms and you'll make sushi's day and it's free make sure to share this podcast with your friends and family as well if you want to level up you can always become part of the hidden behind the music stand family by donating what you will on our patreon page at patreon.com slash hidden music stand our social 
social media handle for Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter is at Hide and Music Stand. And we'd love to hear from you at our email, hideandmusicstand at gmail.com. Didn't recognize a piece we discussed during the episode? No worries. There's a Spotify playlist with all the music discussed for your convenience. The link is in the description of each episode. Jamon, thank you so much of for course. joining me today. You are such a wonderful human. I want to empower you as much as possible. And I'm so looking forward to not just like getting to become better friends with you over time, but also just like watching what you end up doing and changing the world thank in you. your own way. Thank you. This was so much fun. Yeah. yeah thank you thanks. for thank you for asking me to be here. Of course. <laughs> yeah. Of course. I love it. Yeah. All right. And thanks for listening. Sushi, say bye. <laughs> No, no, I thought about the, thought about the triangle, but then I thought about that hilarious Geico triangle ad. You know, the triangle solo. Have you seen that? No. <laughs> There's a Geico ad of a dude doing a triangle solo in the middle of the concert. Like, like it's like a triangle concerto. And they stop <laughs> into the triangle. And he's just kind of doing whirlwind like okay. triangle hits. It's hilarious. But then there was an orchestra. I think it was West Virginia Symphony that did like a, they spoof did a parody. It? Yeah, they did a spoof uh-huh. on it at a concert. And it was hilarious. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> this is great. I'll, I'll definitely look that up uh, after yeah. her, her episode. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Sorry, I was just trying to I do totally the, blew it. Yeah. I was trying to do the I was trying to do the uh you know like, like the, the yeah yeah the TV thing. It's like <laughs> three, two <laughs> you know, like what? Yeah. No, no, no. It was it was it would have been perfect had I not just been like a laughing idiot. So. That's, fine. That's completely fine.